0: All right. Thanks for joining us for part two of executive function and how it can or should be integrated into school. We're going to go ahead and jump right into our previously recorded podcast with Becky Gardner, where we start talking about task initiation.
1: All right. And then the biggest, probably the single biggest one, well top three task initiation. Oh boy, howdy is that? I know it's, it's painful. It hurts. Um, and again, I would say that follows that same double asterisk, um, rule in the classroom, a lot of support in kindergarten, gentle reminders, try harder, um, shaming resource room, um, accommodation, uh, punishments, no recess until you get the thing done. And we've kind of touched on shaming with a number of them, but I really saved it for this one intentionally because it's really where I see it the most often. I am, uh, there are some things to go in the show notes and I think probably the most important One's um, have to do with shaming. Uh, it's it's it, going back to that. Students do well if they can, um, and and knowing that they truly are, even if it doesn't appear so from the outside. Um, it's real easy to get frustrated, and um, you know we've all done it with our own children, and even. <laughs> in trying to say things in a positive way at times, it can come across as shaming language or, or shaming. Um, And I use a whole lot of, in my executive functioning work, I use a whole lot of uh, ADHD resources because ADHD and executive dysfunction as it's called often um, are two sides of the same coin. They, they are, so much the same. So there are a couple of, uh, resources on ADHD and shaming that we'll share. Um, and from that, I, 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 we talked about this or started to talk about it in one of the earlier podcasts and I couldn't remember the the number. So I did look it up. It's estimated that students with ADHD or executive dysfunction receive 20,000 more negative messages by age 12 than those without 20,000. I mean, just let that set for a minute. How do you possibly not have a lowered self-esteem at that point? I mean, it's not possible. And I, it's not that people are evil. I think they're generally very well-intended, you know, why, oh, why didn't you turn that in? Or, you know, they're really trying to help figure out supports at that point. But um, all the student tends to hear is I failed again and I can't get it done and everyone else can do it. And there's something wrong with me and whatever it is. And so I do think that the the especially in this area, because this this tends to be one of the biggest areas that shame um, plays a huge role is again involving the student and asking um, what last week you were able to do, blah blah blah. What went right? What what do you what was the reason for that success? How can we duplicate it? What um, how can I help support what? has been good when you've been able to turn things in. And is there anything you can pinpoint when um you've had a hard time? Uh, is there a pattern? And so involving them in that problem solving approach where I know you're trying, I know you're capable, I know, you know, it's just uh, something for us to solve and we'll just keep at it and growth mindset. We haven't figured it out yet. Um but there's a way and um What can I do to help you problem-solve this? Mm -hmm. And then again, going back to what we talked about, I think that was self-restraint where we're talking, um, you know, are there other options with specific assignments? Um, Pulling in that that universal design for learning, can the, is it easier to get started if it's a PowerPoint presentation, right? is it easier if you were to work on this with a peer or a group and maybe someone else would do the first part and you could do the amazing middle part and someone else can turn it in? I mean, I don't there there are options and Until we get stuck in the same paper, pencil, write the essay, turn it in by the due date, you know, maybe um, starting in the middle of something is the way to get a start. I mean, I I don't know. And it depends on the student, but there are other ways to go about whatever it is other than... (laughs) Start putting it on your calendar, starting at the beginning, doing, you know, I don't know, then when that doesn't work, putting it on the calendar for the next day. I mean, it's, there are, it's, it's a problem to be solved and and there are options. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it takes, it takes time Um, of all of the executive function skills that I work on. I would say that that is the one that generally Takes the most time to figure out, honestly, in it's specific to the person. Oh, right, exactly. There are lots of strategies out there, and one thing might work in science, and something totally different work in English. I mean, you know, whatever. So, yeah, that's that's a challenging one. Moving along. Yes, planning and prioritization. Okay. So there is a ton of overlap with planning, prioritization, kind of organization, time management, and defining and achieving goals, tons of overlap. Um, And so you're probably gonna hear repeats, but I'll try to explain why one thing is a little more um, appropriate in one area than the other. But planning and prioritization, pretty much what it sounds like, developing a roadmap um to arrive at where you need to be and so it's all the pieces and then putting them into priority order what i've seen in schools is in kindergarten everybody sits on the rug they go with the calendar they have their calendar time kind of a thing um that eventually gives way to um as students get older they talk about what'll happen they start using planners um then they start entering stuff in their own planners Planning and prioritization more than time management is not the calendar planner thing. So we'll talk about that more when we get there. But that's a piece of thinking about planning is across time like that. I saw it actually masterfully taught specific teacher in a district that I was in. And she would spend probably more time when they were going to write a story talking about the pieces that went into the story and how in the end they were going to end up with this beautiful illustrated thing that they were going to show to their parents on parent night and they would get excited about that but then she would pull it all back so they knew where they were going and that they had to have a plan to get there but that they would start She really briefly go over these are the different pieces and she had a page for each one and and then they would do a draft and edit. But it was very, very overt, very intentionally taught where we're going to have this thing in the end. There are a bunch of steps to get there. They're going to take time and we're going to break them down. And this is where we're going to start today. And we'll have a different piece tomorrow and a different piece. And at the end of two weeks, we're going to have this beautiful product. The thing that was effective is that she, again, was overt. She modeled it. She explained it. She went through it and they could see it in action as they were doing it. Same thing can be done, you know, with an art project or a science experiment or, uh, you know, whatever it is talking about that. There's a, a place they're going and that it involves steps and timing. So breaking it down and chunking it as as students get older. And again, much the same, designing the environment for neurodiversity and learning differences, realizing that there are options to the way that things are broken down and planned for. Um, and then as students get older, having accommodations like writing frames. So it's an external framework that they can plug things into and use to plan their their written paper or a template of some sort. And then if we're gonna have developmental learning as students get older, that could evolve into rubrics and maybe with an example of what the project done correctly looks like in the end. So that's my thought on planning a prioritization. You're doing check-ins,
0: and you're basically like one. And that's one thing that um, you know, in terms of planning and organization, like those are my two areas where I overcompensate for a lot of things in my life. (laughs) Those two things.
1: With Caleb, exactly what you're no, saying. I'm using your strengths.
0: I'm using my strengths, but <laughs> I also am, am, am a big enough person to recognize that I cannot make those the strengths of my other children. And so I also can't sit there and say, hey, this is how it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Use it mm-hmm. and implement it and love it because that doesn't work. Really love me. it. I that yeah. Out. yeah. So with Caleb, you know, here's an example. Um he, his social studies teacher gave him 20 vocab words that were due in three weeks, okay? And um so we w- sat down and I'm just thinking, okay, this is this just has disaster written all over it, if you will, um, because that's 20 words in a long period of time. And you know, again, my fear is is that because of procrastination and that whole mm-hmm. ability to initiate a task, this has mm-hmm. again disaster written all over it. So, what we did is we, and, and I gave them those options. It's like, you know, how would you like to do this? Like on wow. a certain nice. day of the week, do you want to like tackle, um, you know, divide it by, you know, three, so that there's certain days of the week that you're just having to work on a lot of these words, or mm-hmm. do you want to just do like, figure out a way that we can do like two words each day until the three week mark when it's due, because, mm-hmm. and I recognize where, you know, Everybody has different philosophies. And I know my um my graphic designer Andrea, who who works for me, would tell you she's like, I just do the whole all 20 of the 20 of the words like the morning before it's due, because that's her strategy. She just works yeah. better when she has the flames on her feet. You know what yeah. I mean? And I we laugh about it because everybody has different strategies, but Andrea just knows that that's kind of her strategy. And you just have to trust the process. And I cannot sit there and lecture her about what my, you know, how I want her to get that done. So to the same degree, I have to have that grace with Caleb. So, Caleb, what feels more comfortable here? How would you like to chunk it down so that, you know, do you want to wait until the night before and do all 20 words? oh no, that's like too many words. Okay, so what about this? You know, well, no, I don't like, that just seems like a lot of words. Okay, well, how about doing like, like two per day. And he's like, yeah, that just sounds way more doable, like way more chewable. Uh-huh. So again, I was uh-huh. a big enough person that I recognize it's okay. like, you know, I could have just said, Hey, this is how we're going to do it. And you're going to love it. Um, or just have him kind of think about it. And, and here's also, I was thinking he was going to just want to pick a few days, like, you know, three days and you have to power it out. And I figured, you know what, I got to let this happen. And when mm-hmm. he sits down that first day and has to do seven words, he's going to be uh-huh. like, this sucks. And then yeah. They decide he wants to just do two a day, right? Um, but again, you have to, I had I was just like, well, we just he's gonna have to try a couple of different things, be uncomfortable. Exactly. In order to be able to decide, oh, I don't ever want to do that again.
1: Um, so right, right. And you could say that kind of thing until you're blue in the face, oh, you're not gonna like that, but until they feel it, own it, experience it, it's not real, yes. honestly. So So, yeah, he had to feel he had to be uncomfortable for a little bit before he was like,
0: oh, that's terrible. I don't want to ever do that again. Perfect. Right. Try something different. Right. And that's that's
1: learning. That's what it's all about. So yep. Perfect. Uh so your favorite organization. (laughs) Um So the progression I've seen in schools pre-COVID was that, again, because students don't have executive functioning skills in the beginning, it is school or curriculum or teacher imposed systems that then evolve as students get older. Um, But I have to say for the very young, that's the perfect way to model it, right? They don't, they're not going to know what organization is or how to understand it until they've tried some different ways of doing it. Just exactly what you're talking about is that until Caleb tried seven words a day, He didn't know if he liked that or not. So the same with organization until you have been through some options, you're not gonna know really what it means or how to begin or so um, school and curriculum and teacher imposed systems are a great way to start. And then as students get older, um, and this is reaching pretty far back, but I know for my son, as he got into, uh, I think it was maybe sixth, seventh, eighth grade, there was um, required three ring binders. And you would get marked down if your stuff wasn't in a three ring binder. And that was the mandated organizational approach at that time. Um, And I understand the beauty of it. Things can go in and out. Things can be moved around. Um, Things can be kept in an orderly fashion. I get it. But not everyone works and thinks the same way. He had a barrier in self-restraint. And for him to take the time to open the rings of a three ring binder and find the place and put it in was never going to happen. And it didn't. And he would get marked down every period, every, everything. And so it's great to start students out on a system. I love that idea. But again, there needs to be some flexibility for individualization, for things that are going to work for the executive functioning system of that student. Um, there are so many different ways to organize. I mean, alphabetical, color coding, like we were talking about before, chronological, um, you know, just and it doesn't matter what a student's system is. What matters for organization is when they need something, can they get at it almost instantly? Can they find it when they need it? And, you know, I have to like change my perspectives on this
0: because now keep in mind, my early years, I was in the legal field. So when your attorney was Uh, in court and they needed a piece of paper, you better be able to put your hands on that piece of paper in 30 seconds or less. Sure. So I do know that that formed some of my early years. Now, with that being said, I get cringy when I see other people's paper problems. Uh, but I also, you know, again, we've had to try different things and I am now in the system where I just have kind of like, I want to say peachy folders, but you know, just like your paper yeah. folders Yeah. Where, again, you're absolutely right. The task of having to open up that three wing binder to put that piece of paper in there is just too much to ask of any it's of It's a them. barrier.
1: Yeah, I don't, it's.
0: However, it. if they can shove that paper, not even in a pouch, but in that color coded, like folder, that's basically all math garbage. I can live yeah. with that. And they can live with yeah. it, too. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it might take them 10 minutes to go through that that folder that's labeled math. Um, you know, it, it's like revising those systems where it's like, you know what? Like, what can you live with? You know, if that's a system yeah. where you can just throw it in that folder that's labeled math. And then if everything's is not in a wad in the bottom of the backpack. Exactly. Yes, yeah. Can- We've also too, I and here's one of my other things that I, I introduced to Caleb and he loves it right now. And I told you before we started, was sticky note system. Yay! I, you know how I stumbled upon that was is that I use sticky notes on my desk periodically. And there was one moment where I'm just like, awesome. I picked up that sticky note, I wadded it all up, and I tossed it in the garbage, and I just thought, wow, isn't it amazing how good it just feels to take that reminder that you had on that sticky note and it's done and just like crunch it up and throw it in the garbage and just be like, ha. Felt good. And then I thought to myself, you know what? Caleb might actually enjoy that. There is something satisfying about writing an assignment on a piece of paper. We have him stick it on the wall. And then, like that whole, hey, Caleb, like you got that like test done. Like now what? He like picks it out, he pulls it off the wall, he wads it all up, and he tosses it in the garbage. And for him, it's so satisfying. And you know what? He independently is doing now because that satisfaction to be able to take that sticky note. And do his little thing, it works for him. Now, yep. you know, you yep. and I talked that, you know, maybe we'll add a step where he's color coding his post it notes. I'm just happy he has some form of a system that seems to
1: be working. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Well, and on the sticky note system, I will add to that. <clears throat> I won't take too much time, but um, <clears throat> so my daughter is autistic and she is a manager of um, a bunch of students um, who are peer mentors and she has her own organizational challenges and she's very visual like I am so if it's not out in front of you it doesn't exist so she went through a whole lot of systems and came up with um, on her own she has the wall in front of her desk I think is she turned into she took a whiteboard and put permanent marker on it to um Uh, divide out different sections and they are the different projects that the people that she manages need to do at different times and she's got a sticky note system that is humongous and every all of her um, students that come in know exactly where to look. They know if one has a whole lot, one area has a whole lot more stickies than the other, then they better concentrate on that one this week. And it just, it has worked beautifully for that entire um, department And I think there's, I don't know, 14-ish maybe people that are run off of that system and it works beautifully for her. So the power of the sticky note is big. It's a great system. Oh,
0: yes. And again, you know, you got to test it out, see how it works. That's it's right. Stuff that sticks that he seems to be enjoying. OK, I'm going to incorporate that into our, you know, whatever moving forward or how we're going to mold this like organizational you know, system for him, like the things that he's loving about it, that's working, you hold on to, and then you maybe- Exactly. A little bit, but-
1: Exactly, yes, agree. Time management um, is next and uh, much the same system in the schools that I talked about in planning and prioritization, calendar time, then it's up on the board, then um, it starts going into planners, um, decreasing support, um, and then it goes to yikes as we get into, uh, middle school, um, try harder, a lot of shame, lost points, decreased grades, that sort of thing, um, starts out, I think very effectively with modeling and scaffolding. I think that's beautiful. That's how we learn executive functioning skills when we don't have them when we're first learning. But again, I'm going to go back to, you're not surprised by this, that there are options and. If options could be explored in schools and classrooms, then I really think people are going to be better off as they get older because there's not one system that works for anyone, as we know. And then again, as you've heard me say, as students get even Older into high school, there are lots of creative accommodations that can be included, Um, you know, even to the point of smartwatch or whatever with vibrating alarms on the wrist or, you know, whatever it is, there are plenty of options for doing things in a non-traditional way that are extremely valid. And helpful. I agree. That's okay.
0: one of the ones where you just have to kind of keep tweaking those
1: systems. Yes. Yes, exactly. And what what works or what piece of what works, like you said about the sticky note system, just hold on to those and see if that improvement can be continued. And some days are not going to be great. And you're just going to have to explain that to people. You're going to have to, you know, you and I (laughs) both struggle with time management and there are days where we just have to say, you know, I tried really hard and it just wasn't my day and tomorrow's going to be better and explain to people this is just an area that I am working on growth mindset. I just am not there yet. <laughs> I'm 44 and I'm still
0: not there yet in some of these things like time management.
1: Yes, yes. Well, I'm older than you and I'm still working too. So,
0: <laughs> but I have the growth mindset. I'm going to get That's that right. Yeah. That's right.
1: <laughs> Gets better every year. Yeah. Okay. So, defining and achieving goals is the. Um, Ability first, obviously, you have to have a goal to know when you're there, but it's really the um, follow through piece. It's it's the person, the finisher, the closer, the person that wraps it all up. And so this piece, in my mind, is really more school related, is that you've done all the work. Now it's just getting the assignment in, which can be a huge struggle. For a lot of students, and again, typical story when students are young, there's a lot of support, and then that that decreases. Um, what I think is effective is um, doing a lot of modeling, especially when students are young, to t- to teach it to start them out. That when we're done with the story, we're gonna end it with you know, whatever conclusion. And then we're going to get up out of our desk and it's going to go into this bin. And so it's, it's the modeling, it's the talking about it. It's an imposed system so that they can have experience with what a successful system looks like. So homework baskets, knowing where things go. And then as they get older, it's when you're finished, put it in the basket and wait. <laughs> yeah, and say, you know, let let students get up and you're gonna know if you know one of your students doesn't get up, then they need a little more support. Mm-hmm. Um as they get older, explain the steps um that may need to include universal design of having them written or having something on the desk that says, you know first x then y Uh, or having a graphic maybe it's not written words maybe it's just a little graphic that only they know what it is or i don't i don't know again instead of the you know uh warning and shame and punishment kinds of things when it doesn't happen in high school when things don't get turned in um going to more of the collaborative problem solving and accommodations to have, have support. People do well if they can. If it's not happening, then there's some sort of support that probably needs to happen. So, um, flexibility. That is, um, really if there's a change in plans, can the student roll with it? In kindergarten, that can look like absolute mayhem when there's a fire drill that's unexpected. And I think, you know, younger with lots of support is um, a lot of explanation, a lot of explaining reasons. The most if you can give war, if teachers could give warning, then that's obviously preferred. Um, And then scaffolding is as students progress in their development, there will be less warning. um, And that's real life. But then knowing that if there's a barrier in flexibility, some students are going to need a different amount of time and space to be flexible. They're going to need a little more time or a little more space. Um, They're going to (laughs) need flexibility on administrator or teacher's side. They need to be flexible with their response then to the student. You know, if There's a barrier in flexibility and something is not how it normally is. And that's going to lead to a whole lot of anxiety and the expectations will need to change for what that student is going to be able to do. They're going to go into anxiety and overwhelm and not be able to um, do what they would normally do on another day in a different situation. And so as students get older Uh, again, it would benefit the student to involve them and to help them understand this is an area of difficulty for me. I can expect to have these difficulties in a situation that I don't have control and help them to learn um, what's effective for them, collaborative problem solving. And then most importantly, to self-advocate. Oh, Uh, that's huge. Yeah. To know that, um, this is going to happen sometimes. And what is it that helps me come back to center or, um, work through whatever the thing is.
0: I think it's a lot of too, just like, um, that just, again, I'm going back to that intentional overt discussion about it in terms of, Hey, so let's see, defining and achieving goals. Um, and, and like even flexibility, what worked what's not working, you know what I mean? Like, and that's the thing is nobody really talks about, like, it's always what you're talking about. You're pointing out what's not working, but have we, you know, spent if we spent more time about the things that and helping them find out like how are, you know, what worked about that? Like, how come, you know, like this felt good, but this makes you anxious. Because again, Mm -hmm. that concept of what is anxiety is very foreign, especially the younger that they are. So it really takes Mm -hmm. a lot of time talking about just the physical feelings of what anxiety is for Kayla. Mm. Um, he describes it as beeping in his ears. I think I've mentioned that before.
1: Yes, that's a beautiful explanation. It really is.
0: But again, without somebody really talking about like, and, you know, really being very implicit about like how it physically feels and then how, what are some of the underlying things that make you do because you are feeling uncomfortable. You know, I I just think you have to have those very honest conversations about it because otherwise it's a very ambiguous thing.
1: It's ambiguous even at our age if we're being really honest, right? Yeah. 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 And having the vocabulary yes. around it is also huge for students' own insight, but then especially for advocating as well. Yeah. Um, so two to go. Observation, metacognition is um, metacognition is thinking about thinking. And so being able to step outside and take a bird's eye view and use that information. That's the most important thing. Use that information to make changes about how you go about that next time or solve problem. So using a collaborative problem solving approach, having a strength in this is fantastic. These students move very fast because they can see um, what it is that they're doing that works and what it is that is not working that they might want to um, strategize on. Again, as we've talked about, the overt explanations and when students are young is critical. Uh, your group did really well with whatever it is. Why do you think that is? What, what went right? What was good? And as students age, asking and more questions so that they can discover the answers. And I do think doing it often in a group is helpful to help support and model students that have the barrier and being able to see and break down what happened and what was positive. So primarily the collaborative problem solving and then um, and modeling and, and having peer support is, is is critical with that to have. So here's the thing that really resonated
0: with me the other day is um, when you were talking to my kiddos about um, observation and metacognition, number one, with Caleb, this actually came up as one of his superpowers, like something that actually is a strength for him. And I'm like, huh? (laughs) But yet, then you explained it in a way that made me look at it in a different light. And I was like, how in the world can observation be something that Caleb like is a strength? And how you described this was, um, is that Caleb tends to one of his strategies when he doesn't know what to do is he watches what other people are doing and then and uses some of those strategies of, of what he sees and being cognitant of like, Oh, okay. So this person is being successful because they're doing this, just say a Lego structure in this way. It's like, Oh, that's really interesting. So he watches, he observes from a distance. Cause that's Caleb. He's more of the silent mm-hmm. wallflower where he's just kind of watching what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then he's using some of those things. Or if he sees like, Oh, wow, that kid had a major meltdown and, you know, like through X, Y, and Z all over the place and X, plus Y equaled Z, where he had to go and sit and talk to the assistant principal, which is something he would never in a million years want to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is still, you know, observations of how he's then, you know, like observing and using some of those things to help him be able to figure out kind of where, what he needs to be doing in order to, you know, when he likes what he sees, have mm-hmm. um, around him, then he's able to imply some, you know, utilize some of those for what he wants to like, mm-hmm. does that make sense? And so that was a real, yeah, yeah. like kind of a, that totally now in that context, it makes total sense for Caleb, because he definitely is always observing what's going on around him and things that he is unimpressed with. Then he kind of mm-hmm. makes those hard rules in his mind about oh never going to do mm-hmm. that, um, but things that he likes that he sees or is impressed by, then he's willing to try and like include those into mm-hmm. some of his things he's willing to try. Mm-hmm. So, but I hadn't thought about that until you're because I was like, wait, are we talking about the same child? Like when yeah. we're talking about his strengths, I'm like huh, metacognition. Hmm, I'm not quite quite sure about that one, but when you talk about observation slash metacognition it's like oh yes i can see that being actually a strength for him mm-hmm. nice. but, being able, but being able to observe that like and, and actually I show caleb that hey this is one of your superpowers and this is how you can use it in a more positive way yeah. to help build it in another way i never would have thought about that without having done some of these real implicit discussions about what these are and what mm-hmm. is working for him in a positive way so that we can mm-hmm. fill in some of the other areas
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and that really is the goal, more than finding supports and workarounds for barriers, which are necessary. But really, the true goal is to work in areas of strength. Yeah. Um, Because that's going to lead to I mean, that's what any of us using our strengths. That's what we're naturally good at. And that's where we can, you know, lose track of time and work in with passion is, um, you know, that's, that's our jam. So that's what we ultimately wanna do. Yeah, we need to find supports for the barriers, but really it's so much more about working with strengths. And, and that's the main thing that, you know, I think if, if schools, other than talking about things overtly and intentionally, I think if they were to work on harnessing the power of strengths, They would be light years ahead in a very short time because you get what you focus on. So instead of, you know, a student struggles in math, instead of every year having remedial math and they feel bad and bad and worse and terrible about struggling in this focus area, um, and it, I'm not just bagging on education. A lot of that comes from, you know, the medical field and science. You always look at the issue, the problem That's that's how our brains are wired. It's I'm not bagging on education. That's just that's just how we are. But if we can find a way to look at strengths and harness those and you get more of what you put your energy and your effort into So, yeah, not everyone needs to be a math whiz. Yeah. Um, And there are extremely huge strengths that are just as valid. Um, And if we could put our energy into those, then we could really be helping students achieve potential. Yeah.
0: You're like with gas, man, you're just like going, you're just, like, you're really moving quick. So, right, right. Okay. That was my little soapbox talk. Apparently I didn't know that was coming, but it didn't.
1: Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Last one, stress tolerance. So kind of similar to flexibility, but different. Um, this is um, the ability to cope with just chaos when things are, um, When there's no control and oftentimes there are performance demands um, and then that that brings on stress. So um, uh, barrier and stress tolerance is not is, is going into shutdown essentially when a student's in that situation. And I think, you know, there's not a lot of choice but to give time and space if they're in shutdown, they're in shutdown. Um, And they're not able to. So um, I think that's typically what happens and what needs to happen. But some additional debriefing, I think, could be really helpful um, after the fact, not in the middle of the process. They need to be able to have that time and space to regroup, but then involve the student. What is it that we or teachers or whoever could help them feel like they have more of a sense of control in situations like that. And it's not, you know, it can be a perception of control because there are some things that we just definitely are not going to be in control of. Um, but to feel like they have some some say and some control to, again, like with flexibility, have flexible expectations for what they're going to be able to do and to accommodate that as much as possible, I think is the best way to help students in that situation.
0: Well, and you have to start small. Too. Absolutely, in building stress tolerance, you have to start small. Um, Absolutely. So, and again, higher brain function doesn't work when you're like in that fight, flight, fawn, or freeze. I think is what they are now. Um, really exactly. So again, not. there's not going to be any high level training um, on helping them to expand their their tolerance of stress in the moment. You Absolutely. You have to definitely wait till that we we get out of that fight, fight, freeze and fawn mind mentality Mm -hmm. to get there. So exactly. Here's my next question, because we covered kind of what does, you know, excited function look like in schools and kind of like some of those um, strategies, things that would work better. Um, We talked about curriculum in and of itself. Like there really is no set curriculum or better curriculum out there um, on these helping kids to. You know, settle their harness. You know, like utilize their 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 positive um, strengths to Mm -hmm. compensate. Um, Because as I know of right now, there really is no great curriculum out there. It's basically really. I don't know, Vinny. No, and that's the thing is you find some really great teachers out there that are really dialed into this because I'm continuing at all and they really are like wow this is the missing piece of so much of what we're struggling with in a classroom and just whatnot you know again when you're talking about when they're young that growth mindset that real implicit teaching is there so we as we were going through those 12 different you know executive functions we were talking about what we tend to see and kind of things that could work better because understand there's not any magic curriculum out there that if you're a teacher listening and you want to go go on and find the magic curriculum that's going to help you in all these things of executive function. Sadly, we do not have that. Becky, you should probably get working on it. Maybe it's out there somewhere. You just need to build it, Becky. Just get get cracking on that, will you? Oh yeah, I'll get right on that, sure. Uh (laughs) One of the things that we were talking about before we hit the record button, which is going to be kind of our final thought before we wrap up, um, is that we're going to fast forward now and talk about the um, executive function um, and post-COVID world where we are yeah. across the United States. We have a lot of students that are engaging, learning in a virtual setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, some districts are, you know, are, have an A-B model where they're coming in part-time. Some have gone back, but here in Spokane, you know, I know I personally am a part of a school district where it is 100% virtual, and you made a very interesting observation about about what it's looking like post-COVID, what Becky, in your opinion, are students being graded on right now? Because we're talking about the 100% digital world because I'm in a 100% digital world mm-hmm. where all of our learning is online. How do you feel like the grading actually, what are they being graded on? Are they being graded on the um, the, the learning and um, the competency in the, to- in, the, in the topic and the subject that's being presented? Yeah. Or are mm-hmm. they being graded on something else?
1: Um, well, I think because learning is so, um, I guess all over the board right now, because some students are going to learn well in a virtual setting and many students haven't had time to adapt to that yet, that, um, grading has been altered to, um, more are students attending if it's synchronous learning? Are they um, turning things in? And that seems to make up the bulk of the grades as far as I am aware. Wow. Um, but really, I think in the end, what it boils down to is grades have become out of somewhat necessity, but they have become really a grade in students' abilities to adapt their executive functioning to remote learning. So are students able to manage their time, plan and prioritize so that they are there at the classroom meeting if it's synchronous learning? If it's asynchronous, more oftentimes challenging because are they going to find a way to get to the computer and read the material and turn things in just the ability to initiate and to follow through and to do that prioritize exactly i mean it's every executive function is needed for this remote learning and i i don't know how you would do grades differently because not everyone can absorb the content in these altered situations. But really, it feels like grades are more a grade of a student's executive function capacity in this unusual setting. I completely agree.
0: And it's so interesting that you say that. And so there are pros and cons to this in the sense that it is so frustrating for me because when you have Um, you know, like my kiddos really struggle with um, some executive function barriers. And so it does very much, it's really frustrating for me because I feel like um, largely... being graded on their ability and 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 unfortunately when you're talking about task initiation is one of my kids' biggest barriers and very common a big part of what this virtual learning environment is looking like is their ability to initiate tasks and get them done and manage time and plan and prioritize and because my kids those are some of their big challenges it just feels like, you know, really right now when they have Fs, it's really their, their the Fs are really more reflecting those deficits and some of those ex- executive functions. Yeah. Um, because again, yeah. it's miraculous that because I can go back and see what they've turned in as assignment. So I can actually go in and pull it up and look to see what they submitted. Mm. In my mind, I'm like, this is not your best work. And yet they got an A, they got full points for it. And I'm like, how mm. is this full points? But again- it's because they did it. They actually mm-hmm. planned. They prioritized. They initiated the task. They met the de- time deadline that it's kind of yeah. like that's where we're actually being judged. So um, now with the benefit of that is, is that there are because they have come up with better systems to be able to help these kids track what the assignments are. And again, I was talking about the difference between an assignment that's upcoming and due shows up in black, but then as soon as it's late, it turns to red. Mm -hmm. Um, It actually is a better way to implicitly teach and have those conversations about how do we prioritize? Hey, kids, Today, a good strategy might be focusing on everything that's red today, because those are things that are overdue and are going to be time sensitive. Everything's in black. It's going to be, you know, then you have to start making decisions about how much time do I have? Um, So really, you know, again, that pro con is, is that the con is I feel like my child's complete report card right now is just representation of um, executive function and their ability to execute on these things. Mm -hmm. But the pro Mm -hmm. is that when you really talk about, and what we've been talking each time, we talk about one of these executive functions, intentional, implicit, overt discussions about how do we be better at this? And that, all I feel like I'm doing right now is that it's like, okay, so this this week, let's just try this strategy where mm-hmm. just focusing on the red, let's just focus on getting the stuff in red done. Yeah. I don't love it when those black assignments turn red, but <laughs> You gotta just let's start somewhere, right? And so at least we're having those discussions about like, hey, you know what, guys? I just got I logged in as you today and it looks like you have nothing in red. I'm so happy. I'm so proud of you. You have nothing in red today. Um literally we're celebrating the little wins and just saying, doesn't that feel great? And then having that metacognition where it's like, you know, when my kids worked ahead or we went like two whole days without having anything turn red. Mm -hmm. having the conversation about, Hey, how does that make you feel? Like, how Mm -hmm. do you feel not having to look at any rent today? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or yesterday? Like, didn't that feel amazing to be able to go home and just be like, wow, I literally have no pressing, things that I have to get done that feel overwhelming and just making sure that Mm -hmm. we're having conversations about like, how do you feel? How does this make you feel? Or like Tyler currently has quite a bit of red and it's like, how do you feel? He's like, I feel really stressed out. I'm like, okay. So, you know, like if you don't like that feeling, then let's figure out ways that we can keep some of those reds from popping up. You know what I mean? And so Mm All right, do you work better in the morning? Do you work better at lunch? Exactly. Time? Do you work better at night? Like what is a good time exactly. to get these things done? Um, and so again, it's all about implicit, um, overt conversations about stuff that, you know, we never had conversations about things, these things before, and we never mm-hmm. really had to teach people how to prioritize and t- manage time and, you know, focus, well, we do now. Okay. So let's we're yeah, going to track. Yeah. Yeah. I, for whatever reason we have to. We can sit there and have a whole nother podcast about why we think executive function is not developing in <laughs> young people, but that's a different podcast. In the meantime, be very specific and be thinking about like highlighting the stuff that's really working. I think exactly yeah. what you're saying, the shaming language. Um, I'm guilty of that myself because I can't tell you how many times I've said to my kids, oh, parents are we hit a wall. We do. You hit a wall and you don't have a great day where you're just, yeah. thinking, you know what? Why can you just not get your shit together? Um, that's not helpful. That's just more shaming behavior. It's but yeah. um, again, you know, having those conversations, just saying, you know what? That's really, I, poorly word, you know, it's just frustrating because I want to help you be successful. Right. Um, where, where should we start? You know, pick, and that's what you do. Pick, pick what is interesting to you that you feel like you want to work on. And then that's, that's mm-hmm. you know, have a starting point. So I just want, you to know, I appreciate everything that you do. Um, okay. is there anything you want to add before we wrap up this podcast? It's very long. So likely it's going to be a part one, part two, um, because <laughs> so much good content that I want to make sure that we, um, you know, um, you know, cover everything. Is there anything else that we've left out or we had wanted to touch on that we missed? I think we did a pretty uh-huh. good time. I think we
1: did. I think the only other thing that I would want to maybe highlight um, is that, like you're saying, right now it's a different world post-COVID, and um, really it's a a huge opportunity now that we're learning about um, differences in technology and um, different learning platforms different, well, we didn't get into it, but um, different apps and things that are out there. There are more supports and more ability these days to have students learn in atypical ways. It would be a giant missed opportunity to not take advantage of that and be able to offer and normalize different ways of learning. Um, instead of the the path that we've been going down is teaching different learners neurodiverse learners um learned helplessness which is you know that shame that's built up over time and I can't do it and I have a fixed mindset um and so only the adults know and I don't know and I'm never going to know and I then know self-determination you know we've been going down this path it's been kind of heartbreaking and demoralizing and sad and this is I mean COVID's brought a lot of difficult things but in this area, I think it's a huge opportunity where we can really do some changing. And so I'm hopeful actually that yeah. We're I really yeah. think it's,
0: it's it's a real um, interesting case study, if you will, of what's really working and things that we should make sure that we're holding on to when life goes yeah. back to what we consider to be a new normal, which hopefully is the kids going back to school in a classroom. <laughs> um, but Again, we're hopefully looking at those gems and the things that we're really like, you know, we have been forced into out of the box thinking, and I hope, and yeah. this is going to force people to be more comfortable in that out of the box. Yeah, exactly. And so we're going to be able to take some of the real stuff really shine during this time and we can actually implement it into education moving forward. So I am hopeful too.
1: So. Yay. Yes. agree. Yeah. Yay. Yay.
0: Well, thank you, Becky, for joining me. And thank you all for listening. Um, as I said, this is going to be broken into a two-part, a two-part episode, if you will, because there's a lot of good content. We want to make sure that we don't um, cut anything out and we preserve everything because I think that um, when you're looking at at how executive function works in school, it's got a lot of great information that a lot of parents are going to find very valuable, including teachers. I think too. This is one I'm going to really mark hard to teachers to really hear about executive function and how it actually manifest in the classroom. And that might inspire educators to go out and get some continuing education on some of these topics as well. So um, thank you for joining us and we will see you next time on Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe and just remember we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.